Hi there. Welcome to the sixth episode of Stories That Made Us, where we continue our focus on the creation myths. We got a packed episode for you with stories from the Native American tribes of the Wabanaki Confederacy, the Anishinaabe, and the Blackfoot and Bloods, all of whom could be classified under the broader context of Algonquin-speaking tribes. We begin with the Wabanaki. The Wabanaki is not a tribe, but a confederacy that consists of five principal nations. These nations occupy the area of Maine in United States. In Canada, they reside in Nova Scotia, Cape Breton Island, Prince Edward Island, parts of Quebec, and New Brunswick. This is their story. In the beginning, the world was forest and trees. No man or animal had yet come to be. There was just the Great Mother. She bore twin sons, sons who would command the world. While still in the womb, the brothers wondered how they would be born. I will be born as others are, said Glooscap, the first child. His brother Malsum, however, was vain and evil. I will burst through my mother's side, he claimed. Eventually, the two were born. Glooscap, as per his wish, was born as any human or animals are. Malsum, keeping his word, burst through his mother's side, killing the great mother. The two children grew up to be powerful spirits. Glooscap was of a kind heart and a good nature. He spied the wondrous beauty of the land and sought to create life. He was twice as tall and twice as strong as you and I. He possessed great magic. Never did he fall sick, nor did he grow old. Among his treasured possessions was a magic belt. This belt gave him great power. Malsum was just as great and strong as his brother. He also possessed great magic, but he used it only for evil. Now, Glooscap, as per his wish, began the act of creation. He first made little leprechauns and fairies. He made them out of rocks. They are the small hairy creatures who dwell deep in the forests. They make the wonderful music that bewitches all. Then Glooscap sought to create man. He took his great bow and shot an arrow into the trunk of the great ash tree carving open the bark. He then willed for man to emerge, and emerged they did from this bark. These first people were a crowd of strong and graceful men and women. They had light brown skins and shining black hair. Glooscap called them the Wabanaki. They 
are the people who live where the dawn breaks. He then told his people that he was their great chief and he would rule them with love and justice. He taught the men to hunt, to build huts and canoes. He instructed the women in the art of cooking and the science of healing. He loved mankind and always sought to protect his tribe. He asked Nugumi, the grandmother, to be his housekeeper. Glooscap was never married. He lived in his hut with Nugumi and his young aide Martin, whom he chose from the fairies and loved like a brother. Now, Malsum had been watching Glooscap keenly. Seeing his brother's success with creation, he was envious of Glooscap's achievements. I too should have a hand in creation, he thought. I too will create those who will love and respect me. I will be their chief, he exclaimed. Malsum thus began his quest for creation. Unfortunately, he was too impatient to create graceful animals and birds. He hurriedly devised his strange animal. This was an evil concoction. A strange mix between a beaver, a badger and a wolf. He named it Lox. Glooscap had made the first animals much larger than they are today. They were all larger and stronger than men. Lox, Malsum's evil creature, sought this as an opportunity to make mischief. He went to the moose and convinced it to gore men if they were to ever come near. He next approached the squirrel. Spying the animal, he said, You should smash down villages with your magnificent tail. He thus went from one animal to the other, persuading them to cause carnage. Finally, Lox proceeded to the bear. He convinced the animal to maw men with its claws and teeth. Lox thus went to all animals, changing their mind about humans. He admired their strength and suggested that they should lord over mankind. Coaxing and cajoling the animals, Lox said, The race of men is weak. They are not as powerful as you. Come down upon men with vengeance. Let the mighty govern the weak. The unsuspecting animals listened to this ill-gotten advice. They created havoc causing carnage in the world. They squashed and killed. They caused terrible damage and brought devastation to the people. Glooscap was greatly concerned by this behavior. He immediately called all the animals and chastised them for their behavior. As a punishment, he banished the bears to the mountains. He shrank the squirrels and the moose 
to prevent them from causing harm. He reshaped and molded all animals into the shapes and sizes that we see today. This did not deter Lox, however, who only resolved to be more cunning in the future. He knew very well that Malsum was jealous of Glooscap and that he wished to replace his brother as the lord of mankind. Lox also knew that both brothers, being born of magic, were invincible and immortal. There was but one way to destroy them, and this way was known only to them. It was their secret, a secret which they kept from all but the stars. The brothers trusted the stars. Each brother talked to the star people of the sky. They did so in private and at night. One night, Lox camouflaged himself and went close enough to overhear the two brothers. He first overheard Glooscap speak to the stars. Little does Malsum know that I can never be killed by anything except the blow of a flowering rush. Having heard this secret, Lox then went to spy on Malsum. Not far off, he heard Malsum make a similar claim to the stars. Nothing can harm me save the roots of a flowering fern. Lox had heard it all. He now knew the secret to Glooscap and Malsum's demise. The creature then thought long and hard. He wanted to turn this knowledge to his advantage. He first went to Malsum and said, Dear Maker, what will you give me if I were to tell you the secret to Glooscap's demise? The opportune Malsum spotted an opportunity to defeat Glooscap for once and for all. He whispered excitedly, Anything you like, Lox, tell me about my brother's secret. A happy Lox then replied, Nothing but a flowering woodrush plant can hurt Glooscap. The creature then continued, now that you know, O oh Malsum, I demand my reward. Give me a pair of wings so I can fly. Malsum scoffed at this request. What need would you have of wings, you foul creature? He said. Now that I know the secret, you're worthless to me. I do not have to fulfill your demand at all. So he waved Lox off and went to plan Glooscap's demise. Little did he know that Lox knew his secret too. Lox was angry at Malsum's haughty and dismissive behavior. He resolved retribution and went straight to Glooscap. Upon reaching the kind spirit, he said, Master, Malsum knows your secret. He is about to kill you. I overheard him say so myself. 
I've also heard his great secret. Only Fernroot can destroy him. Please pay heed to my warning. Glooscap was immediately attentive to Lox's warning, for he knew his brother's malicious nature. He searched for and snatched up the nearest fern. Predictably, Malsum was soon upon his brother, attempting to kill Glooscap. All the animals cheered for Malsum, for they were angry at Glooscap for favoring man. Humanity cheered for Glooscap for much the same reason. The two brothers clashed and pounced upon each other. Malsum lunged at Glooscap, who reacted immediately, turning his body sideways. Before Malsum could recover and charge again, Glooscap took the fern plant and threw it at Malsum. The fern pierced Malsum's envious heart. The evil spirit was overcome. This is how Glooscap vanquished his brother. People rejoiced at the victory of their great champion. The animals wept and scattered away. Lox then softly crept towards the great chief and said, Master, I should have my reward now for helping you. Please do give me a pair of wings. Now, Glooscap had figured out that it was Lox who double-crossed them for his benefit. Faithless creature, Glooscap yelled. I made no such bargain with you. Be gone from my sight. Your meddling nature has cost me my brother. I therefore banish you from my lands. He then hurled boulders at Lox, pushing the creature away from his dominion. And so, Lox roams the world till today, fleeing and escaping Gluska. Unfortunately, he stays true to his nature. Wherever he goes, he appeals to the evil in men's hearts. He is the cause of troubles around the world. Glooscap, after his victory, turned to his people. He said to them, I made the animals to be your friend, but they acted with selfishness and treachery. I thus decree that they will all be your servants. The animals will provide you with food and clothing. He then showed the men how to make bows, arrows and spears. He taught the women how to tan hides and make clothing. Now you have power over even the largest creatures, said Gluska. Yet I command that you use this power gently. If you take more kills than your need, you will be cursed by famine. Humanity promised Glooscap to be responsible. Mankind agreed to never turn to excess. Thus, for a long time, 
people were happy under Glooskap's rule. During his reign, humanity prospered greatly. By and by, as mankind became capable of being self-reliant, Glooskap knew his work was done. He chose to retire to the wilderness. He, along with his servant Martin and his caretaker Nugumi, thus left the lands. They made the forest their home. While Glooskap may seem to be away from us, he is there for those who seek him diligently. He helps us in times of great need. That is how the creation tale of the Wabanaki ends. The next story is of the Anishinaabe. They are an Algonquian-speaking people who are also known as Ojibwe or Chippewa. They live in the Great Lakes area of the United States and Canada. The word Anishinaabe means the people. Their creation myth tells a tale of a broken world, one that was destroyed and then recreated by the Kichimanito, the Great Spirit. It did this with the help of the hero Nanabuzu. This is their story. Long ago, Kichimanitu populated the earth with first people. They were also called the Anishinaabe, but they strayed from their ordained path of love and harmony. They began to argue and fight with one another. Brother fought brother, and son fought father. People killed over trivial disagreements, and sometimes even for fun. Harmony no longer prevailed on earth. Kichimanitu, the great spirit, saw that all forms of love, friendship, and respect had vanished from the earth. The spirit found that the people had lost their way. Humanity had succumbed to discord and evil. Kichimanitu thus decided to purify the earth. His retribution came swift and hard. He unleashed a giant all-encompassing flood upon the earth. A great flood that destroyed the Anishinaabe and the animals. Few outlived this terrible deluge. Among men, only Nanabuzu survived. He, along with a handful of animals and birds, had escaped the rising waters. They drifted aimlessly on a huge log. This continued for a long, long time. They searched for land, but none was to be found amid the great flood. Eventually, it fell upon Nanabuzu to ease their dire condition. They could not sustain floating on the water forever. 
Nanabazu thus spoke. We need to do something. I need to do something. I am going to swim to the bottom of this water and grab a handful of earth. With this small bit of earth, we can create new land for us to live. If that is the will of Kichimani too. And so, Nanabuzu dived into the water and was gone for a long time. Finally, he surfaced. He was short of breath and on the verge of losing consciousness. He gasped and grunted. The water is too deep for me to swim to the bottom. I could not find the nadir. All were silent, utterly demoralized. Finally, Mang the goose broke this eerie stillness. I can dive under the water. I can dive a long way, for that is how I catch my food. I will make it to the bottom and return with some earth, said the confident bird. And so, the goose dove into the water and was also gone for a very long time. So long that others thought the poor bird must surely have drowned. Eventually, they saw the goose emerge to the surface, weak and nearly unconscious. I couldn't make it, Mang the goose rasped. There must be no bottom to these waters. Then, Jingibis, the grebe, which is a diving water bird, came forward. It said, Let me go next. Everyone knows that I can dive great distances. So the grebe went under. Again, a very long time passed and all thought that the bird had drowned. At last, it too floated to the surface, unable to retrieve earth. Failure thus seemed to be a recurrent theme. It loomed large over all the poor animals and our hero Nanabazu. Many more tried, but they all failed. Gloom settled on the meager band of birds and animals. They were tired and deflated. The end is nigh, they thought, and were about to give up, despondent and dispirited. It was then that they heard a soft, muffled voice. I can do it, it spoke. At first, no one could see who or what it was that spoke. Then, the little muskrat stepped forward. If you don't mind, it said, I would like to try. The bigger and stronger animals laughed and snorted derisively at the little muskrat. Nanabuzu, however, was impressed by the little animal. He thus said, Only Kijimani too 
can place judgment on others. If Muskrat wants to try, then so be it. It should be allowed to try. So, with Nanabuzu's blessing, the muskrat dove into the water. It was gone much longer than any of the other animals and birds. Nanabuzu waited for a long time and was on the verge of giving up. He and the animals were certain that the muskrat had given his life trying to reach the bottom. Far below the earth's surface, the muskrat did reach the nadir and grabbed some earth. Weak from the lack of air, he used his last breath to push himself up to the surface. When the animals spotted the muskrat, they immediately went to assist the poor animal. But it was too late. Nanabuzu pulled the muskrat up on the log. He examined it and then sighed and remarked, Our poor friend went too long without air. It has passed on to the spirit world. All animals, even those who derided the muskrat, were proud of the little muskrat's courage. Everyone was saddened by its demise. Then suddenly, Nanabuzu exclaimed, Look, there is something in his paw. Nanabuzu carefully opened the tiny paw. All the animals gathered close to see what the muskrat held so tightly in there. The muskrat's tiny paw opened and revealed a small ball of earth. The animals all shouted with joy, praising their hero, the muskrat, the hero who sacrificed its life so that life on earth could begin again. Nanabuzu took the piece of earth from the dead animal's feeble paw. He then wondered where to place this mud. Who would bear the weight of the earth? He thought. When he put his concern to the animals, a giant turtle swam forward and said, I would be honored to bear the weight of this world. With the blessing of Kichimanito, I will happily dedicate my life to his creation. Thus, Nanabuzu put the piece of earth on the turtle's back. Then the great spirit made it so that winds blew from the four corners of the world. It magically made the tiny piece of mud grow. Slowly but surely, there was an island in the water. This island grew larger and larger until it became the whole wide world. A new world that was ready to begin creation anew. The turtle still bears the weight of the earth on its back. This then is the creation story of the Anishinaabe. The turtle and the muskrat 
are revered for their sacrifice, for they made life possible. The muskrats still remember the great flood. Their homes are built in the shape of little balls of mud to commemorate their ancestor, the one who first brought mud to the surface from the deep depths of the water. The final story is of the Blackfoot and the Blood tribes. They are a part of the three confederated Algonquian groups and they live in Alberta, Canada and Montana, United States. In the beginning, there was only water. And upon this water floated a log, one that contained an old man who sat there along with all the beasts. This old man, the ancestor of all, desired to find land. He desired so, for without land, creation could not begin. So he sent the otter to dive deep underwater to find some earth. For a long time, he waited for the otter to return. But unfortunately, the otter came up dead. The old man examined the poor otter's feet, but found nothing. No trace of earth or mud. He then sent the beaver to dive under the water. But the poor animal also found no success. The muskrat was then asked to search for land underwater, but it too was unsuccessful and drowned. And so, the old man kept sending animals, but the poor creatures would either drown or return empty-handed. None was to find earth. None until it was the duck's turn to dive. The bird dived so deep that it drowned. But it did do the impossible. When its corpse floated upon the water, there was mud clenched tightly in its feet. The old man saw this earth and quickly put it in his hand. He then feigned putting the mud on water thrice, and at last dropped it. Just as the old man completed this act, the gods sent rain from the sky, and everything grew on earth. This is how the earth was created. This is why we have land. Now, the old man was the sole human in the world. He was lonely and he wished for company. So one day, he took some clay and with it fashioned himself a companion, the old woman. This was the time when there were but two persons in the world, the old man and the old woman. Together, they traveled around the world. They 
are the ancestors of all humanity. One time, when they were traveling about, the old woman told the man, Now, let us agree to some rules. Let us decide how the people, how our descendants must live. Well, said the old man, I am the first of us in this world, so it is logical for me to have the first say in everything. The old woman immediately agreed, provided that she had the second say. Thus began the process of making and laying laws. The old man first said, The women are to tan the hides. When they do this, they are to rub animal brains on these hides to make them soft. They are to scrape them well with scraping tools. But all this they are to do very quickly, for it will not be very hard work. No, interjected the old woman. I will not agree to this. They must stand the hide in the way you say, but it must be made very hard work and take a long time so that the good workers may be found out and rewarded. The old man did not agree to this, but since the old woman had the second say, it was her words that prevailed. Well, then said the old man, let the people have eyes and mouth in their faces, but these features will be in a straight line one eye below the other, followed by the nose and the mouth. No, said the old woman, we will not have them that way. We will have eyes and mouth in the faces, as you say, but they will all be set crosswise. The old woman's words prevailed. This is why we look the way we do. Next, the old man said, The people must have ten fingers on each hand. Oh no, responded the old woman. That will be too many. These fingers will be in the way. There will be four fingers and one thumb on each hand. Well, said the old man next, we must beget children. The genitals will be at our navels. No, said the old woman. The genitals must be at the pubes. And so they went on and on until they had provided for everything in the lives of the people that were to be. Then the old woman asked what they should do about life and death. Should the people always live, or should they die? The two had some difficulty in agreeing to this. Finally, the old man said, I will tell you what I will do. I will throw a buffalo chip into the water. If this chip floats, the people will die for four days and live again. But if it sinks, 
they will die forever. The old man then threw the buffalo chip in and it floated. Now, interjected the old woman, we will not decide in that way. I will throw in this rock. If it floats, the people will die for four days. If it sinks, they will die forever. The old woman threw the rock into the water and it sank to the bottom. There, she said, it is better for people to die forever, for otherwise they would never feel sorry for each other and there would be no sympathy in the world. Then, said the old man, let it be that way. Thus, having set the laws of nature, the man and his wife focused on creation. They had many offsprings, children with different colors and features, children who acted and behaved differently. They had differing natures. One day, the old man and his wife called all their offsprings to the great mountain. When the people came up to the summit, they found the old man sat there with water mixed with different colors. He gave one man a cup of one color of water and said, You will be the chief of all these people here. To another man, he gave a differently colored water. The old man did this for a long time. He distributed water of different color among different groups of men and women. The Blackfoot, the Pegan, and the blood tribes all received black water. The old man then said to the people, Talk! And they all talked differently. But the ones who drank the black water spoke the same. In the time that followed, old man taught the people how to live. He taught them how to hunt and how to use animals as food and clothing. He showed them how to respect all creation. He taught them about fire and cooking and how to gain strength from sleep. The old man and his wife then kept traveling north and the people and animals followed him. One day, they came to a steep hill. The old man and the old woman climbed the hill and then they slid down it. This place is known as the old man's sliding place and it is here that all the Blackfoots and Bloods settled. These then are the tales for the day. If you liked the stories, Please subscribe, leave a rating and feedback. Follow us on social media to get the latest. And please do share our work with your friends and family. Goodbye.